Nicole, while we're talking about toasts, how do you like your toast? Usually around a little bit between the three and the four. So, yeah. So it is out of 10 and you're three to four. I don't think it's out of 10. I feel like I have to know this now. Hi. What is the highest number on our toaster? Hello, and welcome to It's Not TV. It's a podcast. I'm Nicole, and along with me is David. Hello, hello. Welcome back to season three of It's Not TV. This season, we are covering each episode of House of the Dragon on the pod as they air. Spoiler warning, we will be covering the current episode as well as any that have aired previously. Spoilers for Game of Thrones, show, and books are all fair game. If you do not want to know how your tongue becomes the top of your body, (laughs) consider yourself warned. That said, we will not be spoiling the ending of House of the Dragon. If you want to know, go and read Fire and Blood or your favorite Reddit thread. David, Lord of the Tides. Yeah, so Lord of the Tides had a 10-year time jump, uh, which confused some folks. Because Rainey specifically mentions that it's been six years since Corliss left Driftmark, but apparently it was a 10-year jump. What happened this episode, Nicole? It was pretty busy, pretty busy here in King's Landing. Well, our beloved King Viserys is sedated, but momentarily leaves Death's waiting room to defend the Driftmark succession. He unites his family for dinner and takes his final breath after giving Allison a message fit for an heir. Ten years into their marriage and another set of Daemon twin spawn, Princess Rhaenyra and Daemon head to petition Vaemon's challenge. Rhaenyra sees her father's frailty and she and Daemon navigate securing her claim and an old man's dying wishes. Allison and Otto are warming the throne. The queen navigates sensitive matters. And after a breath of fresh air, she doubles down on Plan Usurper. It seems the offspring still lacks self-esteem, and childhood name-calling has de-escalated from young teen stabbings to early adulthood table-pounding. Princess Rhaenys is trying to defend Lena's girls and the Driftmark legacy per her husband's wishes. How did you feel about this episode? I really, really, really enjoyed this episode. I felt like you've talked a lot about pacing. And as we get to the latter half of the season, I think we both can agree that the pacing has slowed a bit in a really good way to let us breathe a little bit. And I felt like this episode allowed us some time with people, especially King Viserys. Mm -hmm. And I thought we'll talk in detail about him in a moment, but I thought it, it was a great way for us to spend some time with him before we say goodbye. Yeah. And the characters as well. So I really enjoyed that we were able to hang out for a bit. Um, What about you? What'd you think? This was a jaw dropper episode for me. I I enjoyed it. I cried and laughed. (laughs) And I can't believe we're at the penultimate Eve episode. What the fuck are we going to do in two weeks? Like, I don't know. What are, are we not going to hang out? Well, we're, we have, we're going to record Dracula. But. Yeah. <laughs> Shameless <laughs> plug for our next podcast. Yes. But 
I have to say in terms of like must watch TV, must see TV, I'm as into House of Dragon as I was at any point during Game of Thrones. How about you? Hmm. Wow. I don't know. I I would almost say that I'm into it because of Game of Thrones. Sure. Um, sure. So I, I can't. Yeah, I can't really say that I'm more into it. I'm really glad it's back. And I've I've literally fantasized about the next seasons and the other spinoffs that might come from this. And I'm just so excited that there's going to be so much to soak up in the future. David, what was your favorite part of this episode? It's a really great question. There was so much to enjoy. I think it was the small things. I think it was Mm -hmm. the respect given at points to the Mm -hmm. king, to King Viserys. I felt like the first seven episodes, he's constantly like reminding people he's the king. I felt like this was finally the episode where, if not briefly, people finally listened to King Viserys. And again, I I don't think it sticks. You don't think? Uh, It it didn't stick through the whole episode. He didn't even get his chair out of the room before they started fighting again. Yeah, (laughs) before they, exactly. He's like looking over the back of the chair like, what the hell just happened? (laughs) We were just enjoying dinner. What about you? What was your, what was your favorite part? So... My favorite part was definitely watching the Amon scenes. He is a okay incredible scene stealer. Yeah, which it was very close to the way that Damon has stolen scenes up until, and still does. Mm-hmm. But what a creepy and exhilarating character! I'm really excited to see where this goes. It should make it things pretty interesting. To your point, I think what was really interesting for me is he's one of the actors who changed. He's one of the characters who changed actors from the last episode to this episode. And I think we got to have a really good bite at Amond in the last episode with him sealing Vagar, with him in the fight, with him losing the eye. Mm-hmm. It hadn't occurred to me that there could be a drop off in interest because he was a fascinating character right. last episode. Somehow the new actor, Amond, with I think a little less to do in this episode compared to the younger Eamon last episode, still he Matt Smith's, yeah, j- just with one eye facial expressions. <laughs> yeah, like I don't. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Daddy T, King Viserys. This episode was a culmination of King Viserys's entire story as a character. Before we get into the plot implications of Viserys' choices, how do we feel? about Patty Considine's performance and portrayal of KV. So Patty Considine in general, I think, is underrated here, especially in America. And I hope that changes, like, immediately. I know the Reddit, the, the, the subreddits are immediately calling for him to be, like, given an Emmy, immediately calling for him to be, like, the president. I, agreed on all these fronts. <laughs> I don't think he qualifies for president, though. He's a, he's a resident of oh, the n- UK. None of the Jokers are technically qualified. <laughs> I, I think... What I find really interesting is that if we go back and we listen to our previous episodes, uh, we certainly have found faults with uh, Viserys throughout. Mm-hmm. But somehow Patty Considine has still made him along the way a sympathetic character where we'd always when we've talked about him, it's like, oh, he fucked this up, but I get why he's doing it. He's torn between this. We've always picked him as weak or not strong willed. And we've picked him as maybe fluttering between different ideas and mm. kind of looking for guidance that he couldn't find. All of those, though, make his character interesting and and the actor portraying him. Relatable. Yeah. So I understood. 
I don't agree with most of his decisions he's made throughout the series. I thought the most impressive thing is that I've mentioned I really like character arcs. I like to see a character go from A to B throughout a series. And in one season, Patty Considine uh, was able to take Viserys on this journey. You know, there may not have been a dry eye in the place when he reached up to the ceiling and said, my love. And grabbed Emma's boob. Yeah, grabbed Emma's boob in heaven. That's what he did. Uh, (laughs) He's like... I think that's... Listen, ghost boob is the best boob. (laughs) I think. (laughs) He's just reaching out. (laughs) But I think, yeah, it was a, it was an emotional journey that I think he was able to take us on. And I think it's it says all the more to his performance that probably nine times out of ten, we don't think he did enough as a character. Mm. But Patty sold it. Uh, were you as in love with his portrayal as I was? I think that there are highs and lows in our time jumps. And this is one of the characters, and, and there are a few others, that is consistent in all of the episodes we get a fair amount of time with him he has a fair amount of lines he's an excellent actor i really really felt enchanted with his performance and i think that that is owed to patty yeah all of that credit is due to what he's done with this character because being a shitty father and like the list of things that we don't need to go over everybody here knows what's going on can make you write someone off, right? Yeah, I think he's added a, a lot of nuance. Um, George R. R. Martin even joked about like having to go rewrite Fire and Blood because the show's Viserys has so much more depth than the book Viserys. I think it was probably the most emotionally impactful on the show for me, the throne room entrance. Oh, God. I assume that TVs uh, and, and streaming services, so laptops, cell phones throughout the world were cheering when he did that journey up the steps. What was your reaction during that that scene of him coming to defend his daughter, uh, Rhaenyra? I said out loud to my husband, oh my God, am I going to (laughs) cry? And I did. King Viserys' long walk was incredibly emotional for me. People's reactions to it go from elation and relief to disappointment and awe. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, the fuck did he do that? But yeah, my this was definitely the the emotional moment for me. I I don't know, but I got the suspicion that this the show was designed to be more emotional in kind of the speech area. Yeah, I was moved by that. I'm not going to say that it wasn't moving, but this scene was very emotional for me. So some interesting notes from uh, director Gita Patel. She talked about that. When he loses, when Viserys loses his crown and Damon picks it up and places it upon his head, that this was done during rehearsals. Uh, it hadn't been in the original script. The, the crown actually fell while Patty Considine was was doing this. But during that rehearsal, uh, when the crown fell, Matt Smith picked it up and it was kind of like this epiphany of, hey, this is a great moment. And so later on in the toast scene that you mentioned where they were giving speeches, uh, originally Damon had one as well and they cut it because they thought the emotional impact was better here. And I I know this is kind of cliche, but actions speak louder than words. And that scene versus standing up and clinking glasses, to me, it's a no-brainer. Actions speak louder than words. Yeah, and to that point, one of the things that the director said was that as he was making his way, uh, they saw that Emma Darcy, who was playing Rhaenyra, wandered into the center aisle 
sort of near the throne in his viewpoint. And so it gave, they decided to, to shoot it that way. As uh, Geta Patel said that King Viserys isn't walking to the throne. He's walking towards her. Yeah. He's walking towards Rhaenyra. That sort of direction says a lot more than any words he could have said to her on his way to the mm-hmm. throne. Well, I mean, he could have called everyone to his chambers to tell them what he thought. The man got dressed. Yeah, yeah. He put a heavy metal thing on his face and his head. This man went through a lot of trouble to <laughs> do that and not to mention the walk itself. You said he had a metal thing on his head. Yeah, the crown. <laughs> do you think his penis is still intact? I hadn't considered any. No, I don't know. <laughs> Did you have you pondered this? Yeah, I would guess no. Okay. Because when, <laughs> when he's getting ready and they sort of sew all the sores, I'm thinking to myself, what has he lost? And Allison... Seems happier now than she's been before. Does she? Maybe she she doesn't have to deal with the nightlies from him. I'm going to ask our fans weigh in on our Twitter. Let us know. Do you think King V's penis was intact at the time of his death? We want to know. David wants to know. On to the actual political decisions in the episode. (laughs) After 10 years, (laughs) he still completely supports Rhaenyra and refuses to admit that the strong boys are bastards. Why do we think that King Viserys hasn't changed his mind? The way he phrases his question when he gets on the throne, which is why are we debating like a settled matter? I do think this is maybe. And I again, I think the reasoning for this is largely because of of his respect for his daughter and his love for his daughter, that he will turn a blind eye to her bastard children. But I think there is an element here of King Viserys being like, I fucking told you. And like he said it. He said she's my daughter. Her kid's going to inherit I don't understand why you're questioning me. So I think there is maybe an element here. I don't think it's the full reason. I think it's mostly Rhaenyra. But I do think there is a bit here of I'm the king. I said something. Why are we still talking about it? Do you think that plays in at all? Do you think there's some element of him trying to like remind everyone, yo, I said something and that's it? I must admit my confusion. Yeah, (laughs) it was such a great way to open it. I think he chooses... Rhaenyra, he's trying to make things right from what happened to Emma, his true love. Not saying he doesn't have love for Alicent, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- I just think that like when you're a king and you say something, that should be all that is needed. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's like, hey, random handmaid servant, I would like to name you heir. Like this is a legitimate child of his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's on he's on steady ground. Yeah. With his proclamation. And what's interesting here is there's this moment with Vaymond where Vaymond calls it out, right? They're like, go ahead, say it. And Vaymond says it. Now, there is a way for Viserys to go, okay, I've accepted them as bastards, and now I'm going to name them Trueborn. Yeah. Like, he could do that. But he still is like, no, fuck you. We're not talking. So there is this sort of blindness to it. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's almost like Corliss's, and then Renee brings this up again to, uh, later in the episode, Nobody cares about blood in the history books. Yeah. They only care about names. Fucking get over it. No one sees these kids. They're not on fucking Zoom. <laughs> There's no pictures floating around. I haven't seen one fucking portrait of any motherfucker in Westeros. So they don't do portraits. Only if you're having sex with a dragon. Then they're like, hey, tapestry, let's do this. If you're having sex with a dragon, you get a portrait. I think that's fair. As part of this, though, we do see uh, King Viserys uh, sort of getting done up. You mentioned he sort of gets dressed while the maesters are working with him, obviously they're giving him milk of the poppy, which may or may not be Alicent and Otto pushing that on him. But they're also doing a lot of work with him, 
Do you think the Maesters are actually helping him or do you think they're asleep at the wheel? Do you think they're complicit with the high towers? What's our take on the Maesters here? So there is that big theory we talked about earlier in the season, how the Maesters were at it all along, um, taking down the Targaryens yeah, bit by yeah. bit. The Grand Maester conspiracy. I do think that maybe some of them are in on it, if that does exist. Yeah. I think we've got a couple of um, hits of evidence from some of the other Maesters who were coming up with different tinctures and salves for him, suggesting different methods that not all of them are trying to take him down, that at least some of them are trying to help. Yeah. Do you think the Maesters are in on this? They don't. Well, I would say this. It's it's either incompetence or they're in on it <laughs> because he is not in good shape. No. And I don't think they're helping. I do think, though, one of the things we've learned about the Maesters, we've seen a couple of good ones, quote unquote, good ones throughout Game of Thrones and throughout here. But most of the Maesters are fucking useless. <laughs> when when Samuel Tarly goes to Old Town and he's hanging out with the Maesters, He's like, White Walkers are coming. They're like, very interesting, little Mr. Charlie. Let's go through that. And they're like, they're looking through fucking notes. And then after he leaves, they're like, isn't that the one whose father and brother were burned to death? Oh, terrible tragedy that was. Like, they're just like fucking old dudes who are above it all. So I do think, I say incompetence, but it may just be ignorance. Like, they don't give a shit if the king lives or dies. Like, Like a typical workplace where the young ones come in and they're trying to do the best and bring everything up. And the older guys are all jaded and like pipe down. And we're just trying to get through the day. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we tried POTUSes back in my day. All right. POTUSes don't work. You you don't understand. Yeah. Maybe not like willful, willfully trying to kill King Viserys, but uh, definitely in a, in a like, fuck it. If this Targaryen dies, another Targaryen will take his place. Like who, who gives a shit? Right. You had mentioned King Viserys' big speech, though, where you could see through his face, which was fucked up. He kind of makes a a big farewell to his loved ones, and he does this big cry for unity, where he's basically like, I love you all. Why the fuck can't you get along? And it at least inspires a bunch of toasts, which is something. Do you think that his speech has any effect, long-term effect, even if it doesn't prevent all-out war, or do you think his speech was too little too late? So I mentioned before it was a bit of a breath of fresh air, it seemed, at least between Rhaenyra and Alicent, which I feel like definitely drives the bus. So if they decided to reconcile, I think most would follow. But I also would say that they're not the only two people in the realm that have a problem with the situation. Yeah. And we might have already been pushed over the side of the cliff for there's no turning back. Too many people have already sunk too much into. Yeah, it's all fun and games until you lose an eye. <laughs> and so now they're fucked. I just think that the speech was too little too late. He talks to he talks to Lord Strong a couple episodes ago about his legacy. And based on the prophecy, the legacy he has is to keep everybody united. So his legacy is that he did not. <laughs> so however that manifests in the future... We do know that it was, I do feel that it was too little too late. I do think it was a great moment for the character to go out. I don't know, to your point, with so many people hating each other and so many grievances sort of built up, I don't know if there's anything he could have done to fully bridge the gap. He can't control everyone. He's never been able to control them all. Uh, It seemed like he was able to make some inroads there with Rhaenyra and Alicent, but that is, I think, short-lived. And I think maybe he knew 
that it wasn't enough. It seemed like in his final moments, he's still having that speech. He started to have a heart attack. Yeah. And he's trying to, well, even later on that evening, he's still trying to continue the conversation he had earlier with Rhaenyra and he accidentally has it with Alicent. But I think it's still him. Like he's just got a lot of anxiety about this and he feels unresolved. So I think it gave him a good moment where briefly, maybe he thought he made progress yeah. In his waking moments. But then it sort of seemed like as his health started to fail again. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. He was kind of kicking into like, oh, shit, it's it's still not solved. But I, I hope in his final moments, it seemed like he he had some peace there. I do want to mention when he kind of calls for the dinner with Otto, he's like, I want to have supper. And Otto goes, it is the morning. <laughs> It is the morning, so I don't he's think like, yeah, I'm fucking later, dumbass. <laughs> yeah. Go to open table I and fucking get some people ready. <laughs> Check the red keep. Look for the pink dread. <laughs> Let's get that cooked up. But honestly, I is as moving and emotional as this episode was, I don't think I laughed so much this season as I did in this episode. <laughs> You about that dinner seating, though, you found something really interesting about the way the folks were sitting, like where the seat placement was. Yeah. So interestingly, on Twitter, I found someone noticed that the king is sitting center and he's got the blacks to his left and the greens to his right. And if you notice, his face is mostly together on the left, which is the black side. And on the right hand side, all the rot is on the greens. Yeah. So it was just really interesting that as he like removes the golden placard from his face that he's like, see me as I am. And it's almost as if to say like, see what you people have done to me the minute that I yeah. <laughs> lost my wife and kind of went that juncture, married Allison and created this mess on my right. Like I was a whole man. If that wasn't done that way, it was a beautiful stroke of luck in the way they filmed it. But I got to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. They they plan that. Uh, These people are smart. I mean, the showrunners, the writers, the set design. This is intentional, I believe. I don't think it's from an official capacity um, that that that's happened. But I can't imagine that they would overlook something like that. To the king's left uh, with his where his face is kind of together. He has Rhaenyra and Damon. Uh, when when they came to King's Landing, Rhaenyra was feeling pretty desperate. Um, she she didn't know if she could be queen as a kid. Right. She never trusted that her dad really wanted her, let alone wanted her to be queen. She felt like a disappointment in this episode between the long walk between his speech. Do you think that it finally proved to Rhaenyra that she does matter to her father and that he does want her to be queen? And that she deserves to be queen. Do you think that's finally proved that to her with his actions? I mean, I think he empowered Rhaenyra to feel like she was the right next move for the realm. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it solved their relationship. I think that it was a a last request from Rhaenyra. Please, if you do nothing for me ever again after you've placed this burden on my head, please defend the burden that you've placed on my head. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, it just affirmed for her that based on the prophecy, this was his last like move on the chessboard to trying to keep the realm united and continuing the line that would keep them as one against a common foe. When she spends a lot of time in his bedroom and it kind of looks like a hospice at this moment, 
But the rest of King's Landing has changed a lot since the last time she and Damon were here. So firstly, could we um, at least just like dust the fucking thing the king treasures the most, <laughs> his model? <laughs> Like his poor model. And how long do candles in Westeros smoke after they've been blown out? I was like, are those vaporizers? Like, what is going on? <laughs> you guys, this man can barely breathe and you're smoking him out with all these candles. Like, just they're like humidifiers for him. Is that how <laughs> that's, candles that's work? That's not how it works. But at first I was like, maybe the maesters have like a a POTUS that like simmers and smokes. I have no idea, but <laughs> could they at least like fucking pay him some respect and dust the damn thing that he treasures most? I think that's that model that he's been building. What happens next week now that he's passed away is very important to me. I will be crushed, but there's a lot of changes here in King's Landing as Rhaenyra enters one, the place is fucking empty of like all the servants running around and all the people, the ladies of court hanging out. Uh, the dragon sex tapestries are removed. I think if you're one of the cast or crew who worked on this show, that's one of the things you'd want to take from the set with you, because I would love to have that in my living room, just the giant sex tapestry of the dragons. But a lot of faith of the seven stuff has been added, uh, especially in the shot where Rhaenyra and Damon first walk into that sort of main hallway that we've seen so many times. The camera is looking through the Light of the Seven sigil. Yeah. And almost like it's the gods judging her looking through, right, this symbol. The stranger spoke, too, specifically. Like, each spoke stands for a god, one of the seven gods. And the one that you see them through is the, it is the one that represents the stranger. Yeah, and the stranger represents death, which is fucking creepy. Allison has leaned into this Faith of the Seven. We'll talk about that a little bit more when... Uh, we talk about uh, Allison specifically, but what does it mean about what they think about Rhaenyra? That there's this sort of judgment. Uh, for me, it felt very Catholic, right? There was like this Catholic guilt hanging over her. What do you think it says about what the Red Keep and possibly King's Landing think about Rhaenyra? So Allison mentions that she has all of these symbols wears them and has them hung around the castle because she wants to remind herself of the guidance the gods provide so that when she and Otto are running the kingdom, they are guided by the principles of the seven. I think that it's just the stark difference between the old ways or the traditional ways and yeah. follow the rules and Rhaenyra representing the rule breaker. So I, I don't know that it means King's Landing or the realm has, has has this thought about Rhaenyra, but I definitely think that at least in the in the showrunner's minds, they are are placing that divide. Like I, I think you're right. I think what it feels like is she's being judged the whole time she's there. I mean, she walks in. We're we're judging her as you mentioned. Uh, the the stranger right? we're looking through the the uh, seven pointed star at her. Then literally the the whole time it's literally her walking around trying to find someone who will back her up, right? She talks to Rainey's. She knows that Feynman's coming for her. She knows that Allison's coming for her. So she's on sort of trial. And it's like even the building is judging her. <laughs> she does make it difficult for herself. She has clearly bastard children. She disappeared for several years, right, with her uncle, who she married after she probably killed her husband, according to the rest of Westeros. Knowing that sort of like the outsider's view of here's a woman who obviously has had bastards, 
may have killed her husband, married her uncle, left to Dragonstone for several years. Does she deserve the throne? Or do we just think like, well, thank God it's not Aegon who probably has grown into a little rapist. I don't know if I think any of them deserve the throne. If you think back to how they, at least the stories that we know, how they even got the throne is by force. Um, It's almost as if whoever makes the, has the dragons makes the rules, right? In this case, this is dragon versus dragon. Both Aegon and Rhaenyra have dragons. They have a backing of people who also are dragon riders. But think about Robert Baratheon in years from now, how he just upon force takes over from the Targaryens. You know, obviously Aegon the Conqueror did the same thing to the many kings of Westeros at the time. Yeah. So deserving I don't know that she's the best fighter or the strongest person in the realm or any of those things. But if you're playing by the rules besides her sex, I don't see any other way. She's the King's firstborn child and she's been named heir. I'm truly confused. I thought we settled this matter. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of the interesting things you, you raise a good point monarchies that are non-elective, which is, most monarchies has this weird sort of, oh, well, you have to follow the rules and the rules are who the second son is, you know, who the first son is and all of these, all of these rules. But all the rules were put into place by a man who violently took over and then said, well, now we need to follow the rules. And I can marry my sisters and, yeah. and we could break this rule and that rule and you'll just excuse it. So we, we, we try to play, we try to say, oh, well, who's the next in line officially? And the answer is whoever the fucking strongest person wants it to be is really the answer. Yeah. Like at one point, Robert just goes, that's a fucking enough. And then even he says, oh, and just in case any of you guys are following the rules deep back down the line, I've got a bastard of Aegon, you know. So he he even says, like, let me find I'll check a box for the rules for you. I'll find a way to make the rules work. But it really is just who's the strongest, who has the best army, who has the, the best ability to kill people. And then they go, okay, cool. Now that we ignored the rules and killed a whole bunch of people, I'd like us all to redo the rules again because I'd like my (laughs) sons not to be murdered. Right. It's self-preservation. Yeah. And if you're thinking from like a Varys point of view, like what's best for the realm, I don't know that Rhaenyra is, but I I think I could say with pretty good certainty that I don't think Aegon is even close to being ready to being the helmless ship. Do I think he could be groomed? Sure, but who the fuck is grooming him? No one. The same no, no ones that did uh, that groomed Rhaenyra. And I think that the kick in the ass she got was that brothel night out with Damon. Damon is a big part of this now with Rhaenyra. Now that they're married, they have children together. So Damon is now a bigger factor, I think, than he's ever been. He defends Rhaenyra and the kids. He cares for his brother. We finally see these moments of of his investment in his brother. We've talked a lot this season about how Damon does a lot of bad things and is probably the worst person we've seen in a while. But Matt Smith's charisma kind of keeps him afloat for us. Are we now rooting for Damon? Is And if not, uh, is he at least a better person than maybe he was 10 years ago? I think both he and Ramir are better and different people than they were when we first met them. The list that goes through my mind right now for what Damon's done, it seems that a lot of the wrong that he does is in defense of his main family. I think that it seems 
for King Viserys, for his brother, for his niece, he will do pretty much anything. And when yeah. Rhaenyra's betrothed to Leonor, he kills his wife to make himself available because his brother told him that was the only reason why that was nonsense. Yeah, yeah. You're already married. <laughs> I can fix that really quickly. Um, so I just kind of... I got to go see a man about a horse. <laughs> and, and, and even down to... Um, defending the boys during Lena's wake by get, you know, taking the attention off of where Vaymond was headed in High Valyrian. We find out this episode that Jace does not speak High Valyrian, so there's a good chance that he and Luke had no idea what Vaymond was saying. And yet he still took that moment to just kind of squash or detract from what was going on. So yeah, yeah. I just kind of feel like his loyalties lie with some of the people that we are rooting for or maybe some of us or most of us are seemingly rooting for and because his actions promote their cause we kind of find it easier to excuse the actions yeah in this divide he's strengthened the blacks in many ways including potentially three more dragons for their side um in the clutch that he uncovered in a volcano <laughs> pustule pack mm -hmm. So truly digging deep into the the smoky volcanic fluids of Dragonstone to strengthen the Black's claim. I think it's really interesting now, to your point, how Damon is still being a smirky jackass, but he's being a smirky jackass for others instead of just for himself. So, yeah, getting the dragon eggs, killing Vaymond, who's a threat, um, this really sets up his ability to really be like a team player. Like, it, again, we talked about this when Allison enlisted Kristen Cole and the club foot, like you sort of need to build that roster. And Damon certainly has that energy. Now he's got that, that going for him. We mentioned earlier though, that they cut his, his speech, uh, mm -hmm. his toast. We did see Rhaenyra's toast though. And Rhaenyra was the first one to give sort of the toast, uh, to sort of make things, things better, sort of to make things less, uh, less antagonistic. She was trying to chill everyone out. And she says something genuinely nice about Alicent that I actually felt like she meant, which was that. Yes. Agreed. Alicent cared for King Viserys and took care of him. So it was obviously a political move, but I think it, it, what she said was genuine. I think to say something was political, but what she said was genuine. But she's being the bigger person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like Viserys is like, can you guys please get along? And she's like, I'm going to be the one that starts this wave. Not in a conceit or in an egotistical way, but in uh, if someone's going to do this, I just I'm just going to do it now. Do you think that's also like, oh, I'm the next queen. I should be the one to speak. Sure. Like, do you think there's part of that? Sure. And I think, you know, Rhaenyra were besties for, you know, many, many years, seemingly um, based on the show timeline. So I think for both of them, there's a soft spot there to rekindle that they were all each other had and the burdens of their lives and Allison losing her mother and Rhaenyra losing her mother. And yeah. I think that there's part of them that yearns for that companionship from each other. Yeah. That moment where they sort of hold hands and Rhaenyra is like, I'm going to scoot. And Allison's like, you should stay. And Rhaenyra is like, I'll come back on dragon back. And I thought it was cute, but then it was also like, oh, is she coming back like for fucking war? Like, <laughs> you know, it's um, well, she will be back on traffic. Yeah. <laughs> so but I thought that moment meant a lot. Did you think they still have those feelings? Do you think Rhaenyra really still holds that for Allison that 
Rhaenyra still really cares about her? I do. I do. I think, I think that it's, I think that's the painful part of it all. Yeah. For both of them is that they're fighting, but they love each other. They care about each other at least. And they're pitted against each other. So Rhaenyra does this great toasting here and, and kind of makes the, the overture to Alicent. Alicent also though reciprocates and gives a toast. She spends a lot of this episode actively plotting against Rhaenyra and covering up some sexual assaults. <laughs> as you do. As you do. We'll get to that. <laughs> but after Rhaenyra's toast, Allison seems really moved. I think it's genuine. She'll make a fine queen, she says, and even takes Rhaenyra by the hand and asks her to stay after the squabbles of the children. Succession aside, do you think she still loves Rhaenyra? Even for a minute, do you think she was being sincere? I know that... The young actresses for Rhaenyra and Alicent played it as if they were in a more than friends relationship. Uh, they, they mentioned that uh, in, a, in a previous episode, we talked about that as well. I think the actors portraying them in this scene still show a little bit of that in the characters. I don't look at them in the way that we would look at best friends. But that being said, this kind of reminds me of like when exes are in the same circle of friends, like two people dated and then they have to stay around each other. So those old feelings are there, but because of history, because of everything else, they can't make it work. So this kind of reminded me of that, that Rhaenyra and Alicent used to have a relationship and kind of like exes now and have to stick around because of their friend group that they're in. And I did get that Rhaenyra cares about Alicent and Alicent cares about Rhaenyra. I don't know how much of that is active caring, like actually worrying about them today. But at least in their softer moments, Allison can look at Rhaenyra and think, I used to really care for her. And I kind of still do. That doesn't mean she's not going to fight her for the crown. That doesn't mean she's not going to try to make her son king. That doesn't mean she won't try to have someone kill her. I don't know. Right. But I, at least I got in this moment that it was more than cordial and it was more than just for show. So, yeah, does still care. I don't know if she still loves her. What about you? What was your take on on Allison and Rhaenyra's relationship here? I mean, I think that Allison, we talked about this in the beginning, her relationship with her father is strained. So even though she said he would be partial to her, that doesn't mean that he's going to talk about the things she wants to talk about or support her in her own things. So I think I still think everyone that's pawing at Allison right now is doing so for an ulterior gain, whether it's a personal gain or whatever. Okay. Rhaenyra is not trying to get anything from Alicent except for peace. Yeah. She's not, you know, she's her, their friendship is never like that. I think there is part of her that longs for what they had. Um, or at least like what was implied because it, because of the time jump, we, we can't be sure. Yeah. Do you, do you think that because Alicent's eldest son, Aegon, is such a shit that that opens the door for her to sort of say like, Hey, I need to make pace with Rhaenyra cause she is going to be queen. Cause although my own son sort of kind of has a claim, he's a piece of shit and God forbid he make the throne. Do you think that enters Allison's mind at all? Yeah. Like what the fuck am I fighting for? Yeah, it could be. I, I don't think anyone knows more than Allison. Maybe Rhaenys is the only other one, what it takes to rule in Westeros as a woman. Mm-hmm. So I do think she means what she says to Princess Rhaenyra, that she has what it takes or she believes that she yeah. has what it takes. But I do think that she also knows that where Aegon is presently, 
he's currently not in, in the right state of mind to be ruling, uh, nor, nor is he interested in it. So, um, no, yeah, I'm not saying that he's not capable of such things, but just like Rhaenyra, he's not being groomed or interested in being groomed for it. So I definitely think she's like, well, what the fuck am I fighting for? Yeah. Why bother? Yeah. Now you've talked about her sort of knowing the most about ruling, but do you get the sense that she's actually running the kingdom or do you think she's still sort of being used by, by her father and, and the mechanician machinations that he's set up to have happen to put Aegon on the throne? So I think that Otto, if I, if I'm remembering this correctly, he is putting forth that he is doing this because he knows that Rhaenyra as the heir would tear up the realm that mm -hmm. because there is a firstborn son, that that is what the realm desires. So I don't think he's using her as a tool so much as like what she's doing is uh, puppeteering. I do believe that she is, she clearly has control and command at that table. We've seen it over two episodes now where they listen to her. Yeah. Yeah. So is she part of this? usurper plan yes um but i don't think that she's a puppet in the usurper plan in the sense of a tool do you think she's she's uh lost her agency yes but she knows it i think so i would say this i would say that her in king viserys her husband her now late husband uh r.i.p king v i think they both have similar elements here where i think king viserys being the king still felt like he was always being manipulated by everyone. It's why he kicked out Otto, uh, Otto Hightower the first time. He he was always looking for, can someone give me advice that is pure and not somehow tainted or biased? Yep. And I think Allison's probably in the same position, whether she realizes it or not, that hmm. she is getting advice from people that she may trust to look out for her interests because her interests currently align with, with their theirs. interests. Right. And so... I think she knows that that's happening, but being able to stop that is different. We know that the clubfoot is giving her, and he wasn't in this episode, but we know that the clubfoot is manipulating her, and she knows the clubfoot was manipulating her. She knows that her father was manipulating her. So I think she knows it's happening. And so to that point, maybe she hasn't fully lost her agency. Okay. And maybe there's a little reciprocality going on there where she's using them as well to foster her means. Okay. But- is she getting good advice and is she fully in control of the wheel? Eh, probably not. So when the king does die, though, his his final, final words are my love, which Patty Considine improvised speaking to Emma. And he hoped that they would keep it. He grabbed uh, her ghost boob. But before <laughs> that, his sort of almost final, his penultimate words were where he was trying to talk about Aegon the Conqueror's prophecy that passed down to him. And Allison sort of misunderstands his mumbling and bumbling through the story where he thinks he's still talking to Rhaenyra from earlier. And she thinks he's referring to the princess was promised as her son, Prince Aegon. And the sort of, we need to fight the North. We need to keep the kingdom unified. She's taking it as, okay, that's about my son. Do you think she really believes that? Or do you think she's like, hey, that sounds like I could use that information. A hundred percent. She just needed one thing to justify her agenda. That's she just needed. She was hearing what she wanted to hear. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Agreed. So this episode, we got to see what power the greens have at court. They're redecorating. Otto is sitting on the Iron Throne and the small council seems to be in Otto and Allison's pocket. 
Do the greens seemingly have the red keep support completely locked up? Yeah. I have to assume there are families out there that back the blacks and back the Valerians. But we don't get a peek at any of them, with the exception of maybe Beesbury, who's who's a little lost and confused all the time, but <laughs> seems to sort of back uh, the blacks. I certainly get the vibe that Rhaenyra is ostracized. And that's part of why this plan goes into motion with the Valerians, that the Greens are saying, hey, if we could steal the Valerians by putting Veyman in charge over there, they're mm. really done. It's like six people we have to worry about. A couple of dragons, but like six dudes. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I get the vibe that that and that's why this final play comes in is if we could take the Valerian from the Greens perspective, it seems like they have the small council locked up. It seems like they have mm -hmm. uh, Westeros locked up. Uh, with the exception of, of I assume, Dorne, who we don't know where they stand, because last we heard they may have been working with the Triarchy uh, and the Stepstones. I think what this tells me is that the Greens are going, hey, let's lock up this last piece with the Valerians, which is why they gambled to back Vaymond. Yeah. What about you? It, are you seeing that the Blacks maybe have more power than we think of? I No, I, I think I see your point. The only thing that I would say is that maybe some of them are kind of like employment insurers and they just kind of like go with the flow because I, I could definitely okay. see that but then when shit actually goes down yeah, yeah well when this episode i don't remember the episode but one person at the table was like this is a great idea and then someone else is like opposing opinion and the person the person agreed with the first person and then agreed with the other person so it, it just it just feels like they're just yeah. like how do i keep my seat at this table no matter who's at the head of it yeah so allison as part and and this is probably influenced by otto as well when he told her to to protect her children uh during that rainy scene a few episodes ago part of this was her making sure that she has children so much of the game of thrones is played by making sure you have heirs it's it's not necessarily about you it's about who can continue on after you. This this whole episode is based on Veyman argues with Renice that sh she's saying names carry because that's what she heard from Corliss. And he's saying blood carries. Allison's doing the right thing. She produced a bunch of children. It appears she may even be a gilf because there's reference that Aegon and Helena had children, which we didn't see in this episode, but there was a reference to it, which we assume it is. So let's look at these kids. First up, Aegon. Aegon rapes Diana, who is a woman who works in the castle, um, a servant in the Red Keep. He complains to uh, Alicent that he can't kind of live up to, to the expectations of being the king. Um, like, oh, you expect me not to rape servant girls. Such high expectations. Um, and to get into Georgetown. This kid's going to end up on the Iron Throne, maybe. Is he the next Joffrey? Is he going to be like a horrible, horrible human being as a king? My answer is no. I'm not downplaying rape, but the things that Joffrey did. Yeah. The time we spent with his cruelty. Just don't quite put them in the same field. Do I think Aegon is good? <laughs> no. Do I think that? Yeah. Any, like, that is not to say that Aegon is now on the other side of that spectrum. I just don't think he's quite as far right, right. as Joffrey is. Unfortunately, in this world, women are often treated poorly or demeaned. Yeah. So I'm not saying that that makes it okay, but he isn't generally going around like, at least not that we see 
being disrespectful and like but joffrey did joffrey was an asshole to like literally everyone yeah while i think that aegon has an air of entitlement like many of these rich children mm-hmm. i don't i don't necessarily put him in the same realm as joffrey do you think that they're on the same length no i i think i think the differences are are there as you've pointed out i don't think I don't think that Aegon is as cruel as Joffrey was. And Joffrey was even younger when he ascended the throne than Aegon is now, from from my understanding. Um, so I don't think he's as cruel. Obviously, we're kind of as cruel. giving a passing judgment on as cruel. That's, right. He can still be cruel. Rape makes you pretty cruel. cruel. But he seems more bored, more frustrated, more aloof than actively seeking cruelty mm-hmm. as of right now. And I think Joffrey really wanted the throne. Joffrey wanted to be king. Yeah. He wanted that power. Aegon, Aegon just seems like a fucked up teenager that's rich, like to your yeah. point. I, I will say the the scene we're talking about uh, in reference to him assaulting uh, a servant girl, that happens off screen. We don't hear it. We don't see it. We don't even see like the immediate aftermath of it. It's later. Yep. Um, after the girl tells another servant girl who tells uh, Allison. I really enjoyed the way this was handled. I I understand unpleasant things need to happen in Westeros. I think that for me, I don't have to see those. You can tell me they happened and I believe you and I can feel awful about it. Yeah. I don't need to see it to feel even awfuler. Uh, awfuler more awful. Yeah, more awful. I was pretty happy that this happened off, scene, off screen. And I do think that the scene with Alicent confronting the young lady and sort of cleaning up, for lack of a better word, and doing exactly what her husband did to Rhaenyra, right, some 10, 15 years before, yeah. with and then being sneaky to sort of control things and to control the rumors, I was really happy with how they handled it. Uh, how about you? I know it's a sensitive... No, it's very sensitive. I think in both scenes, either seeing it happen or seeing kind of the torment and pain of the aftermath it's it's tough to see in both situations the point is you don't have to show both to achieve that and i think that that was more tasteful i don't think anyone that's experienced sexual assault will appreciate experiencing either of those scenarios but i think we can still be compassionate like you're saying about the character's situation not having seen every inch of the torment. And I think Game of Thrones just really, I mean, how many times did we see Sansa raped? Like, hey, I get it. Ramsay rapes her a lot. Like, we don't need to see everyone. Yeah. I mean, greater than zero is the number of rapes I'd like to see, you know, not on the show. Anything greater than zero, I think, is where I draw the line. I will say to Maddie Evans, who's the actress who played Diana, I think one of the interesting things is she sells enough of the torment that in a small role, a small scene, she sells how awful the rape was without us having to see it. And I obviously it'd be emotional for for the actress to do all that and everything. So I think I think there are other ways to convey the hurt and the pain than us witnessing it. And I think this scene, I think, did a really good job of that. And how many more of these have happened that there seems to be like a club. That's what right. I think. Yeah. I assume this isn't the first time the Red Keep has learned 
of Aegon doing something with a young lady that he wasn't supposed to do. And the the other servant, she she clearly goes to Masaria later in the episode. So we assume she's spreading news about Aegon's bastards. She's reporting back to the worm. Yeah. So so let's move on to Aegon's little brother, who is much taller than him. Uh, good old Amon one eye. Uh, so Amon grows up. He's got his eye patch. He looks sexy. Uh, he's got a grade A smirk at all times. What an actor with one eye. Oof. He's doing so much. Last episode, we talked about how when he he was a tortured young boy who, when he went on to Vagar, came down a different person. And we sort of saw that meanness, that directness, that sort of sense of purpose that he came off the dragon with, where he said, you know, I lost an eye, but I have a dragon. Don't worry, mother. He seemed to set a different trajectory after he came off that dragon. Do we think that now that we've jumped 10 years later, we've followed that? And now we does that does that trajectory make sense from last episode to where he is now? Because he sort of comes off like a villain. Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of cases, a lot of these characters have had deaths and rebirths. I talked about the one I believe Kristen Cole had. Yeah, yeah. In this case, I think Amond came off of that dragon with a different perspective, a, a, a resurgence of confidence. I still think he he is fueled and harbors all of the pain from just kind of being on the outside. Yeah. And I think that is his driver. I don't think that he's been able to kind of drop the the victim part of himself, and which is why I think that he's so incredibly boundaried and numb to he doesn't get emotional because he can't. He can't allow that, it would seem. Yeah. And I think it's interesting you mentioned this, the sort of like the death of Kristen Cole that we talked about before. Uh, Patty Considine in an interview about Viserys said that he believes Viserys died when Emma did. Damon, we mentioned sort of growing this episode into his more familiar role defending his family. He and Eamon eye up each other uh, a couple of times in this. It seems like they're setting them up to be rivals. Are you pushing this? Are you into this? So I don't know if they're going to be rivals. I mean, assuming because of the greens and blacks, that would be the case. But I definitely think the show has designed them as like mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. They created Amon and Damon's image. I mean, literally Amon's name is Damon without the D. Yeah, move to the end. And so he's Damon without the I. (laughs) Oh, too soon. (laughs) But... I do I do want to talk about talk about something with regard to Eamon. Last episode, he expresses to his brother that he would do whatever it took, including marrying his sister. It seems that he yeah. has a very clear understanding of what's to come and nobody else is really taking that seriously, or at least Aegon is not taking that seriously. Yeah. It it, it just seems like he has a, a better grasp on the gravity of the future and the, he see, you said last episode that he seems to be the only one preparing. Yeah. So do you think that Amon's relationship with his sister, this like prophetic character on the show, is evolved to a closeness that he's heard enough of her prophecies and now he's starting to understand them and use them to his advantage? I think if anyone would listen, it'd be Amon. Mm-hmm. I don't like the Helena prophecy game. I think it's too wink, wink, nudge, Mm. nudge, 
to the book fans. Right. Because the book fans usually know what she's saying and the non-book fans do not. And so I, I'm not a big fan. I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I'm not a big fan of dream sequences. I'm not a big fan of prophecies. I don't like characters yeah. having some sort of supernatural unconscious ability to be able to see ahead in the story. But irregardless of of Helena's prophecies, I do think Eamon seems like we talk about playing the game. I think Eamon very clearly sees his role in the game, and that is to not take any shit from these strong bastards. And I think that anything that works towards that effort, like I could see Eamon listening to Helena and, and listening to her prophecies. I could see him doing dirty work for Alicent. I could see him as a weapon for the clubfoot. I think Eamon probably won't say no to anything that will advance the Greens hmm. or say no to anything that would hurt the Blacks at this stage. I mean, if you stumble across an eight ball and you shake that thing up and it gets the answer right a whole bunch of times in a row. You're shaking that eight ball for some answers in the future, regardless of whether you're charting your life against it. You're definitely yeah. checking it out. And I said last episode that I wouldn't really like if they used her as a fortune cookie each episode. But I have to say as a non-book reader, as a show watcher, if they're wink, wink, nudging to the book readers, I don't know. I'm eating it up. I like it. I like feeling. Yeah. I like the puzzle. I like thinking about it. I think it's great. And I also love the character. You like the prophecies, obviously, but we talked about we'd like to see more character development from her. Yeah. Do you think we're getting that now? No. I mean, she she did have a line in this episode um, that wasn't a prophecy. A couple, <laughs> actually. Once about, one's about having the children getting dressed, which indicates that she had a, chi a child, children with Aegon. Yes. Presumably. Yes. So that was just like moving the needle for the viewers. And then the other one was just like, a really funny toast about marriage. <laughs> Aside from that um, and the goofy dance, I don't think that we're seeing her development the way that I would like to see it. Oh, but I really, really enjoy this character. Yeah. And I'm I'm really bummed that it seems she's just going to be a background character. Yeah. So we do have to point out there is a fourth kid, Daron. And for our non-book readers... That may come as a surprise to you because motherfucker ain't been in the show. So George R. R. Martin in his Not a Blog, which if you don't read, you should read. It's a lot of stories about why he hasn't finished the books. Uh, but George R. R. Martin says that there is a fourth child of Viserys and Alicent and that that child book accurate is being fostered in Old Town, uh, which is where High Towers uh, have their power base. Um, and he said that we won't see him in season one. Uh, so he does play a part in the books. And at least uh, George is saying, hey, we know it. We've got sort of a reason you haven't seen him yet, but you may see him in season two. So that's our run through of of the Greens and, and their children. Nicole, let's swing over to the Blacks and their little ones. Let's talk about the strong boys <laughs> and the twins. This is how you lose your tongue. I've, I've got to be careful. So poor Luke spends the entire episode seemingly terrified <laughs> being, and being implicitly and explicitly called a bastard. <laughs> he's like the subject of the whole episode, but I don't think he says too much. Meanwhile, Jace is trying really hard to be a good king in waiting. What do you think of these grow semi grown up strong boys? I have to say that I think both of our mothers in terms of Alicent and Rhaenyra I don't think either of them have de demonstrated super strong, like, mamba bear, good mom vibes. 
I do think, though, that the strong boys benefit from probably better fathering, mm. more nurturing fathers, more understanding fathers, at least before Damon. I think Viserys obviously loved his children, but he was he's watching the greens. He's watching the blacks. He's all over the place. He calls Rhaenyra his only child in this episode. Yes. So <laughs> well-intentioned he might be. He's probably not winning father of the year to those other children. Whereas I think the strong boys obviously had a strong affection Harwin. for for uh, for Harwin. And Lenor seemed mm -hmm. to be a caring person that they cared mm -hmm. about. And Damon seems to be a better father now. He defends the boys, certainly in this episode. He chops off a man's head for talking shit on them, which may be political, but it also seems like he's defending the children. I think I think the strong boys are made of sterner stuff. They seem to be more well-adjusted than the green children. And I think it may be because of the uh, the benefit of multiple fathers, the benefit of multiple caring people in their lives. What about you? Do you think that the strong boys are better than the greens? Less shitty? I think there's an interesting difference between these two women's children. I think that Princess Rhaenyra's children are rich, so they they still have the same entitlement things that she did as a teen. I feel like Allison's children display it a little bit more. And okay. I just feel like there's a, more of a humbleness and maybe that comes from being called bastards all their lives and constantly having to prove themselves. Yeah. It's, it, but I would, I, I do ponder if there's a difference between the mothering or the, or the upbringing and they kind of had a, it obviously aside from all the hand serve handmaid servants, um, it, it was definitely a village effort with, with my two dads and now my third dad. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that they maybe had the opportunity to pick the good from each of them. It seems that they yeah, did not yeah. get a whole lot from Harwin by way of like strength and fighting, but mm. it seems that they do have a uh, thicker skin for some of this stuff. They do make trouble, but I think that the behavior differences are notable um, between the two sets of children. I do think too that the kindness of the boys is recognized by Bela and Reyna, who are their cousins slash stepsisters slash aunts. It's confusing. But we announced in this episode through Rainey's, which we'll get to in a second, that Bella and Rainey are going to be married to Luke and Jace as sort of a union. And everyone seems excited about that, except for the green children who are maybe a little jealous. Yeah, the girls seemed pretty pleased. Um, it definitely was. It almost gave me like pause to think that Rainey's checked with them as well yeah to make sure they were cool with it i mean that's totally just my thought process but they they seemed happy i don't have any reason not to be happy about it and it does give rainies and frankly vaymond the the bloodline continuing as um yes in fact yes. you know in the case of rainies her daughter's bloodline is what's taking on the driftmark throne which is which is what she wanted anyway, yeah. Which is kind of heartwarming to honor her in that way. Do you think that Rainey's, who was offered this early in the episode, and as I hold up, let me see how this shit plays out. Do you think, because again, we don't know what's happening with Corliss. We know that Corliss has been injured. Uh, we don't know if Corliss is going to... He has a blood fever. Yeah, he has a blood fever, which sucks. I've been there. It happens. We don't know if Corliss is going to be back, but she initially, at least, sort of, uh, Rainey says to Rhaenyra, they're out to get you and you're fucked. This is move number one, right? The chips are starting to fall. She's like, and I need to look out for myself. 
my family, which is the right move. Yeah, the right move, especially to stay alive. But then when King Viserys is like, yo, I just got to ask Rainey's what's up. Rainey's, do you have a, a, a call on this? She backs Rhaenyra. Do you think she's backing Rhaenyra? And it happens to align with what works for her, as you mentioned, that her daughter's bloodline sort of ends up owning House Valerion and Driftmark. Or do you think it's House Valerion all the way? And shit, if it happens to help Rhaenyra's case, I guess that's fine. So Corlys is alive. Rhaenys was asked by King Viserys, you speak for Corlys on this matter. If anyone knows his wishes, it's you. Okay. But whatever their squabbles privately... As a public couple, they are a unit and she supports him and she puts forth what his wishes and desires are on his behalf. He comes back around and she didn't do that. She challenges her her house. So I think it was the right move with the support of the king. And I think that's what she needed. I think she needed the support of King Viserys to make the best decision for her house and I think that if it had gone another way and Alicent backed Vayman's or the hand backed Vayman's wishes, that the things that she would need to do to make sure that Corliss's wishes were intact, he would understand that she was he was being challenged and she had to defend their home. So I think I think because of King Viserys's big chess move, that is why she did what she did. I think that makes sense. And she didn't get to to hang out at dinner with them either. So she made all that. She didn't. But I don't think it's because she wasn't invited. Remember, they told us at the first of the episode that Corliss would be there in three days. She's getting home to see her husband. You think she went back to get Corliss? Okay. Absolutely. I think that Rainey's the character, knows best, at least better than anyone at this point, as she's standing there looking at Vayman's body. That this is just a taste of what's to come yeah. in the Targaryen house. And she's a Valarian, but she's also Targaryen. And I think that the Targaryens are very loyal to the Targaryens. Yeah. And so she watched, Rainey's watched her brother-in-law get taken care of by the Silent Sisters. Instead of attending a fancy dinner where shit popped off, what are some of your favorite Game of Thrones dinners? That have happened. So I've got a couple to bring back the old memories, guys. Old Walder being served his own children via Arya <laughs> in a baked fray pie. North remembers, baby. <laughs> Ramsay eating Theon's pinus sausage in front of the captured Theon. Do you think he actually ate? So I know in that scene it wasn't. But do you think he actually ate Theon's penis? Or do you yes. think it was like, oh, you do? Yes. Okay. Yes. No question. Is that a thing? That's a question? Like, people don't think that was actually yeah. his penis? No, I think that was a sausage. No. That did not look that like a penis. That was a freaking cooked up Theon peon, 100%. No, could not disagree more. I got to imagine, with the size of that sausage, that that had to have been then a fully erect man that you cut his penis off and then did not have any blood loss. You immediately tapped it off. I, I didn't I didn't think the implication of at that at all was that it was his penis. It was too giant. He marinated it. It's swole. Whatever. <laughs> what else you got? I definitely think it was his penis. Oh, you mean other dinners? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. The mountain. I'm gonna eat every fucking chicken in this room. Oh, what a great scene. <laughs> the wolf eats Big John Umber's fingers when he talks shit on Rob Stark. Oh, and that's when he yells like, "Oh, I'd say that steak was fucking tough." It's like he's like immediately like is making jokes about it. 
I, if I lost my fingers, I would not make jokes. No. I'd cry like a little bitch. Well, I don't think you'd make it as King Viserys on this show. <laughs> You're losing more than fingers. Uh, and then uh, just to, I don't think this is all the food that existed uh, or the meals that existed. There certainly are more, but most notably Daenerys eating the horse heart like it's fucking flip cup and not puking. Oh, and from my understanding, the actress actually had to eat like a fake gelatin That's thing as part of disgusting. that. And she hated it. So outside of the realm, what are some other terrible, awesome dinners? Yeah, I think you covered all the Game of Thrones ones. Uh, some of my my favorites in in history are obviously the worst com- the parallels in this episode to The Last Supper. Oh, uh, I was raised very Catholic. I saw that picture a lot. Uh, Clue was had a really great I'm a big fan of Clue. So anytime I get to reference the movie Clue, I will. Uh, they had a great movie scene where uh, they had monkey brain soup. Yikes. And one of the characters gives away where they've been, because as uh, the great Tim Curry says, monkey brains, while popular in Cantonese cuisine, are not often to be found in Washington, D.C. One of my favorite from recent years is in the Avengers at the end credits, the shawarma scene where they're all eating. Mm-hmm. That was actually filmed at the premiere of the movie. After the movie, they all went and filmed it. And if you rewatch that scene, you'll see that Chris Evans is like half collapsed on the table as if like he's stuffed and he's holding his hand over his face. It's because he had a beard for his next role. <laughs> so they had to hide his you, beard. Just like life. Because yeah. people can just have facial hair. Well, they can. Yeah, that's allowed. My favorite uh, dinner scene of all time, though, is in The Godfather. Oh, gosh, I've never even seen this. Okay, new podcast. We make Nicole watch The Godfather. (laughs) Um, Spoiler alert for a 50 year old movie uh, in The Godfather at Louis restaurant in the Bronx. uh, Michael Corleone sets up a dinner with Solozo and McCluskey. Solozo being a rival gangster, McCluskey being a crooked cop. There are no spoilers here. I have no idea who these fucking people are. Yeah. Um, so they have anti-pasta salad and then, uh, McCluskey says that they should order the veal cause it's the best in the city. Michael excuses himself, gets a gun returns and shoots them both. And it's a uh, pretty fucking great. Uh, and, uh, highly recommend to anyone who hasn't seen the Godfather to like go do it immediately following this podcast. <laughs> now it's time for the lightning round. Our producer has prepared some questions about this episode based on the hottest Twitter and Reddit thread so far this week. First up. On the Hot D subreddit, user u slash Nimzoid asked the one question that everyone is forgetting about after episode eight. Is the small council going to levy a tax on the sale of wool or not? <laughs> Nimzoid appropriately demanded, quote, a flashback of Lord Beesbury giving us a very ex- exhaustive history of how a wool tax will affect sheep farming in the Vale. <laughs> True or false? Lord Beesbury is the only small council member actually getting shit done and trying to run Westeros. I mean, I definitely think that the lines that he has in imply that he's trying to keep the focus on running the country. Yes. Instead of like the the squabbles of the high court. Um, and I think that's the right thing. So, yeah. Dear me. Lord okay. Beesbury's got it. <sighs> got the right. Uh, they got the right priorities in mind. I feel like Lord Beesbury is always the guy that makes you repeat yourself. It's like, what? Who? And you're like, God damn it, Beesbury. Gods be good. Uh, but yeah, if you wanted to enjoy the pillowy softness of that full Reddit thread, we'll have it linked in the show notes. What's up next? 
Next, we have the Internet is mad that the looming civil war may happen because of the silly miscommunication between Viserys and Alicent. Do we agree that this is a silly miscommunication or is the Internet just being dumb? Well, it can be both. I think the Internet can always be mm -hmm. dumb. And God bless them because we're here for it. Uh, we are also on the Internet being dumb. Yeah, we, we're in the Internet being dumb right now as I speak. Uh, so I will say this. And you mentioned this earlier, Nicole, Allison heard what she wanted to hear regardless. And mm -hmm. up until she and Rhaenyra held hands about 10 minutes before the scene where she hears Viserys talk about Aegon, they were going to have a civil fucking war. The country is going to be torn apart. Yeah. And we talked, we spent a lot of time this episode talking about how a lot of other people have a lot of other vested interest yeah. in Aegon v. Rhaenyra. So the boulder was rolling over the cliff. There's no stopping it. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Agreed. Uh, I, I think, yeah, straw on the camel's back. The silly miscommunication is literally the thing that turned the coin. She uh, that's all yeah. she needed, because if you sit there and tell me that the king can do all of that and you're just like, oh, yeah, got it. Like, oh, you want to undo all of the things that you just put forth all that effort doing because of like some coded thing that she didn't understand. And she wasn't, she's very intellectual. So she wasn't like, hmm, what does this yeah. mean? Like, let me, let me get out the books. Let me, let me talk about, like, she was just like, okay, I got it. Like your wishes are, wish is my command. Like, no, she heard what she wanted to hear. So the cat's paw, which we saw resting on the king's bedside, uh, Patty Considine, when he left his final scene, tried to take the knife and the producers told him, no, it's very important. And he said, I know that's why I want to take it as it's sitting there now. Let's assume the end of of this show, the end of this storyline, The Dance of Dragons, which George R. R. Martin says will probably take about four seasons. Who ends up with the cat's paw at the end of this Dance of the Dragons? At the end end? Oh, I don't fucking know. Oh, my God. At the end end? Well, I'll tell you, Arya ends up with it. OK, well, that's a little <laughs> bit of a cheat. I will say this. Uh in Game of Thrones, we know that Littlefinger gets it from Tyrion <gasps> because it's Tyrion's knife. Originally, he loses it. He loses it in a bet to Littlefinger. So I would say that Tylen Lannister is the one who ends up at the end of our our Dance of the Dragons with the knife. How about Jason fucking Lannister walks up, pulls it out of some dead person, wipes it off on his pants. Yeah. And that's scene and scene and scene. Dump, dump, da, da, dump, dump. What's next? <laughs> How did this fucking guy survive? Yeah. <laughs> um, true or false? Patty Constantine gets an Emmy this year. I can't possibly predict who gets Emmys and who doesn't because it seems like I always feel like someone should and they don't. I will at least predict a nomination. Yes, for sure. A nomination. And, and I am rooting for it. I believe he earned it. I believe he earned it. Sure. No, I think that there were so many performances that deserve accolades. I'm not saying what I am definitely not saying is that Patty doesn't in earn it or whatever but i think that history has told us that it's really hard for a lead of a fantasy show to win yes best actor and that's why our boy Tyrion peter dinklage ran away with so many support because he he became in a supporting actor if if i'm hbo i argue that that motherfucker isn't on the main poster it's allison and rhaenyra who are on the main oh. posters young rhaenyra okay. is on the early posters and i think he gets yeah it. if we could get a supporting yeah. yeah he gets it i think if he's a supporting if he's in the supporting category sure so next up 
Viserys before he died, was able to meet baby Viserys, oh. uh, Rhaenyra's and Damon's little baby, uh, their their second son, we believe. They named uh, Viserys. Sad scene. Incredibly moving. I would say that Viserys would be even sadder to meet the latest Viserys Targaryen, a piece of fucking bathtub shit, gold-headed, mother-melted, no-dragon man of mine. <laughs> I don't know what I just said, but I think he would have been sadder to meet that guy than, than he was to be honored by his daughter. Who do you think had the worst death? Viserys, who died from decay? Or Viserys from Game of Thrones, who was murdered by uh, Khal Drogo with melted gold? Um, I definitely think Viserys... But I I wanna I wanna run a theory by you for what he has. I know everyone says it's leprosy. I just can't I can't get on that train. Okay. I think that the Night King is like experimenting with like trying to create his his uh, people. Okay. And like injects it into Viserys, and it's like an early version. So he like rots, but not like quite the right way. So he dies because like his body can't handle it. And and eventually he gets the right chemical mixture to create his army. I mean, we like this, right? We love your creativity and we would never do anything <laughs> to staunch your creativity, Nicole. I think. Dear me. I think it's also possible that in a time when the medical community is full of a bunch of dudes who are just like rub some fucking leeches on it. We're a guy sitting on old swords constantly. Maybe just got a cut and got infected. So George R. R. Martin said this week that he is happy with the adaptation, but he did list some things he wanted to see more of. If you were in the writer's room, what is one thing you would have added more of in this season? Easy answer. Harwin Strong. I wanted to see... Like more of his body or sure. more times? No, I would have liked to have seen his relationship with Rhaenyra. <laughs> Every time we see him, he's mm. with Rhaenyra in front of other people. I would have liked, so if I could have added yeah. just one scene, I would have added a scene with Harwin leaving where he could talk to Rhaenyra alone for a second. And I think that yeah. would have told me a lot about their relationship. Sure. I, again, I would have liked to have seen him woo her and all of those things, but just one scene alone, if I had had an extra minute, I would have added a Harwin Rhaenyra alone scene. How about you? What would you have added more of? So I think that's really interesting because it would kind of make you feel like all of this was worth it. Like, why are we defending these bastards to the guilds? Yeah. Was it for this like great love? So right. I, right. I, I definitely, I definitely feel, uh, feel that from you. Like we understand that she tried to make a baby with Lenor and that's a thing, but it, yeah, that would be interesting. Um, I think what I would want is more from the people in Westeros. We spend so much time in these rooms with the power makers in very specific rooms. I understand bud budget. That's fine. I think it's strategic. Sure. You don't want to build a mark. I would have liked to s spend more than just the, the brothel episode, understanding what yeah. the people wanted. Um, I think that as a whole, the people of Westeros are a character and I'd like to understand what they're, what they're, what they're feeling. Yeah. I think GOT did a really good job because we had to follow Arya and, and see her bouncing around these little towns and cities and markets on her way North. Um, and then her way over to the other side. Whereas, yeah, it seems like everything here is kept to Lords and ladies. We're in Driftmark. 
We're in Dragonstone. We're in the Red Keep. We're in the Lord's houses, literally. And and we're not in like the bathroom. <laughs> we're in the great the the Hall of Nine yeah. or Hall of Seven or whatever it is. We're we're in the throne room. We're not in places where like regular people go. Nicole, you mentioned you're in the king's bedroom. Uh, Paddy Considine, I mentioned earlier, wanted to keep the blade, uh, the cat's paw. He was not allowed. One of the things he did keep was the stone dragon from his Lego set. Oh, yeah, that's really nice. If you could have kept one prop from this season, assume you were a crew member, you were on set, you could keep one thing. What would you keep? Rhea Royce's breastplate. Yeah. With all the runes. Yeah. But just the symbolism. A woman like, you know, that was one thing that I loved about Brienne. I think many people loved about Brienne is like she was a knight. She didn't do the girl things or the feminine things. And I just thought that she was really cool. And that was really cool that she had armor, even if it was just like her casual armor. Yeah. What would you keep? No, I would keep one of the dragon eggs. I would. I think the dragon eggs look fucking cool. That's cool. Yeah, I'd keep one of the dragon eggs. And it, what about the pustule sack that they came from? I'd pass on the pustules. True or false, Nicole? Episodes of House of the Dragon, written and directed by women, are better than the ones directed by men. Oh, true. Thousand percent. I mean, this episode was the best episode. I think that the, the Claire Kilner episodes were mm-hmm. incredible. I also think this whole season has been incredible. So... Big shout out to Gita Patel for this. Yeah. And to Alan Shim. Yes. Yes. Incredible. And you have to give them credit for the space that they gave the actors for these really strong moments. I didn't know about the improvisation of the the crown falling until after I watched the show. And I cried for that part, not for the parts that I was designed to be emotional for. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it was definitely 100%. It, it would seem the, the women ones are are more effective. Do you agree? Disagree? Yeah. And I think it's it's easy to understand why I think one Game of Thrones. We, we've talked about this during our Game of Thrones episodes. We've talked about this during our House of the Dragon episodes because they take place in a medieval fantasy land. Women's roles are predefined. There's sexual assault. There's lack of power. Those things are inherent in the genre. You and I both have very strong feelings about why they're so prominent in a genre where you can add dragons, but you can't add women's rights. That being said, if we just understand that, hey, fantasy, medieval, medieval fantasy will have these tropes. But when you make your two main characters women, they're on the poster. You go, maybe we should get some women in the writer's room. Maybe we should get some women directing episodes. I think it makes total sense uh, when you think about that, that the main characters are women. So I think it helps give them a voice and a perspective for sure. I think it, I think they're great. Absolutely. So Twitter is very horny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for Amon Targaryen. VV horny. There's also a fun Twitter account by user at Motels on the Moon that has turned Amon into a communist political revolutionary known as Baymon the Marxist. Of course. Can we explain why? No. Are we obsessed? Yes. So in honor of Marxist Amond, which Hati character's grassroots political campaign would you donate to? It's a good question. Uh, I don't understand why Amond is a Marxist, but 
I'm in. I'm in. Let's 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 do it. Um, I want to see a Obama like poster, the hope poster, but with Amon and it says strong. Careful. You're going to get another lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> so um, political campaign I donate for. I've only donated for a few political campaigns in my life. Uh, I like an underdog. I would have certainly donated money to the Strongs. The Red Cross Fund, Rebuild Heron Hall. Yeah, Rebuild Heron Hall. I would donate money to Rebuild Heron Hall. Uh, yeah, so I would have <laughs> definitely voted for them. And then I would have been bummed that uh, fucking Clubfoot's taking my money and having people assassinated with it, which sounds just about right what people mm-hmm. do with political money. Uh, but I probably would yeah. have donated to them uh, for now. I'd I'd probably throw some throw some shillings to Rhaenyra. Yeah, my twenty seven dollars goes to Rhaenyra too. If you'd like to know more about Kami Amon seizing the means of dragon production, uh, check the show notes to find the Twitter link. Nicole, it's that time of the episode. Sure is. It's time to pick in air. I like oxygen mostly. <laughs> A good mix of oxygen, hydrogen, and carbon. It's the best air. It's the best air. Um, Rhaenyra versus Aegon. Who do you have? We know who King Viserys chose. Yeah. Rhaenyra, who do you have? We both know. I'm a black. You're a black. I'm I'm definitely not Aegon, I think. I is can't the, fucking tell you why. I'm Rhaenyra. However. I like it. That's just what it yeah, is. Yeah. And that's how it is. In a world where we could somehow get Alicent to marry Aegon to Rhaenyra's kids, as she sort of talked about last time. Yeah. I could have seen Aegon being an absentee Aegon. king. Aegon. Yeah, Aegon being an absentee Aegon. king and making things kind of work. Aegon. What are you looking forward to most for next week? Episode nine, penultimate episode. I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, our little student, Jace, is progressing in his high Valerian. High Valerian. What are you looking forward to next week? In the shots, they show a fat little uh, bastard, fat little baby bastard, it looks oh, like. You have a thing for these babies. I think these little fat babies with the white hair, it's fucking funny to me. And everyone's obsessed with like bloodlines and making sure the kids look the way they're supposed to look. So like when you show up and you're like, he couldn't have possibly cheated. And you're like, but then how come this fat little baby has white hair? You're like, fuck civil war. You'd think someone would invent a DNA test. Yeah. <laughs> like we need, we, we need a Mari in Westeros. Yeah. It to solve this. But yeah, so I'm looking forward to a little fat baby uh, with white hair and how that f- may fuck up things. How did one get through the cracks? Let's find out. Let's find out. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Nicole, and talking about episode eight, Lord of the Tides. Join us next week for episode nine of House of the Dragon titled The Green Council. Check out our Twitter feed at It's Not TV Pod for further details about our podcast and to connect with our community. Please subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. A very special thank you to our producer, Matt Malone. It's Not TV is a production of Bruit Media. We wish you good fortune in the pods to come. highest number on our toaster if he says like 3.8 we're gonna fucking lose it six thank you have a nice night okay thank you
It's six. 